As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and I pulled out one of my all-time favorite re-release podcasts. This one is Dana Kurtz. We are talking about her new book, Mother Matters, A Holistic Guide to Being a Happy and Healthy Mom. When I recorded this, I was a complete binge of podcasts about motherhood, possibly because I have been knee-deep in early childhood parenting for a while, and it's something I'm really passionate about. And what we talk about in this conversation is really exploring that shift into motherhood and the the big disconnect between the idea and the image of the mother doing it all and the reality that many people actually live. And especially these days when we are, many of us are within our homes and not being able to find support outward. There's a lot of pressure on us to really try to uphold the house. And many of us also have jobs and we're trying to work and be a parent. It's a lot. And so I pulled this one out because I think even though I recorded this a couple years ago. Dana really hit some of these themes that we're all experiencing right now. And I just thought it would make a big difference and be supportive for people to hear this. So I pulled it out. It was a delightful conversation. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Before we get to that, just a few announcements. I'm so proud of how we have moved everything online. And I'm just so excited that I feel like I've met new people. I had someone just this morning reaching out from Napa. She's 35 weeks pregnant and she was saying, I'd love to take classes with you and I never thought I could. And I'm so excited for her to show up for her first class. We have one of our students abruptly had to move back to France and she's still been taking classes with us. It's really great. And a lot of our students have left New York and they're still taking classes with us. And it's something I'm committed to exploring how we can continue this even when we're back in our studio. Why shut the doors? We've opened this whole new community. Let's keep it thriving. Let's continue to support one another. So that's really exciting. We also have of our upcoming prenatal yoga teacher training, as I announced in an earlier podcast, we're taking it online. We've made the decision not to wait last minute and see what's going to happen. It's going to be online in the fall. So if you've always wanted to come and take the PYC teacher training, but it was too hard to come back and forth to New York, you don't have to anymore. 
it's online and, and it's been really fun. It's been really exciting to see how we can take this new technology and really expand what we have. So that's coming up. And then we also have Who's Afraid the Pregnant Yogi, that online course. We've got my newest course, Teaching the Postnatal Student. And I'm just looking to see what else we can keep adding to our genre of active supporting the pregnant person and supporting the new parent. So check that all out. And lastly, before we jump to the conversation, if you've been enjoying these podcasts, please take a moment and leave a rating and review. It helps people find us on wherever you listen to this. It really makes a difference. And I want to thank you for that. All right, we're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Dana. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the five-hour energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hi, Dana. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Deb. I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. I just got off my little Peloton bike. I'm energized and ready to <laughs> shine out. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I was reading your book about like mother care and self care, and and that was my morning mother care, self care. So I thought I you'd it. appreciate that. I love it. I do. <laughs> I do. I have. I'm sure we've cycled together virtually because I have Pelotoned also. Oh, after you'll have to tell me your name so I can put you on my very small little follower list because I get. I like to see other people's. <laughs> rides. I like to get ideas. I sometimes get a little competitive. So <laughs> I've been forewarned. Okay. I like to see happy to share with you. Oh, good. Anyway. So people out there are like, yes, more about Deb and her Peloton because I talk about it a lot. So, <laughs> so let's jump into, I enjoyed your book quite a lot. So thank you for, for authoring that and writing that. And I'm sad I missed your discussion here in Maplewood. What oh, a small world. Th- Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, And I uh, gave a little book talk at Words Bookstore, which is a beautiful, beautiful little shop in Maplewood, New Jersey. Yay, independent bookstores. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Here, here. So let's jump into, let's start with just telling the community a little bit about yourself, your background, your personal transition into motherhood. Let's, Let's go with that. Sure. So I am a social worker by training and, um, I had a small private psychotherapy practice a number of years ago and I saw adults with sort of general anxiety and depression and, um, you know, what sort of most of us experience moving through life at some point or another. And when I had my son, um, I was under the false impression that I was poised to move into motherhood with grace and ease uh, because I had so many resources at my disposal. Um, I had a supportive partner and I had the desire for a child and um, it took us a little while to conceive, but once we did, I had a really smooth pregnancy. Um, I just thought I was uh, positioned for success and I think because of that um, belief, I was especially blindsided when, in fact, um, I brought my son home and was completely and utterly overwhelmed by um, 
my entrance into motherhood. Um, I felt um, really overwhelmed by breastfeeding and the hormonal recalibration and the social isolation and the hit to my marriage and um, the sleep deprivation and on and on and on. I'm sure many of your listeners can empathize with, <laughs> with that position. Um, and so when I eventually felt like I got my head above water again, I felt um, compelled to devote my psychotherapy practice to working exclusively with new and expectant mothers. So and how, that's what I did. How long did it take you to get your head above water again? So I would say I had my forehead above the surface <laughs> at about two years after my son was born and, you know, my full head above probably closer to, to three. If See, I'm being I think honest. that's important to hear that so that people don't think like, you know, in three to 12 weeks, that whole fourth trimester, I should have it all. I think it's important for people to hear you're treading lightly for a while until you're not, not everyone, you know, it's a bell shaped curve, but I think that's important to hear that even the most prepared have, have some trials and tribulations there. So I'm really glad that you highlighted the point about the fact that, um, you know, for some women, it can take a couple of years really to begin to adjust to motherhood because, um, you know, we think that we become mothers when we bring a baby home from the hospital or the birthing center or the adoption center. And the truth is that motherhood very much exists on a spectrum. Um, and that, each woman finds that identity, you know, in her own time at her own pace. So, um, for me, it took, you know, several years, um, to begin to feel like I was getting in a groove. And, um, and when I felt like I had enough sort of reserve, uh, energy reserve, emotional and physical to be able to go back to my practice, I dedicated it just to working with new and expectant mothers. And, um, and it was helpful to for them, for my clients, to have a place where they could explore their own journey into motherhood. Um, but it also had had limitations, and it was that recognition that talk therapy was useful, but kind of not enough, that prompted me to begin to explore other research-based tools that I might be able to incorporate into my practice. And that was sort of the beginning of um, my my mother care mission. Um, which we can talk more about. Yeah. Um, so is that what inspired you to write your book, Mother's Ma Mother Matters, A Practical Guide to Being a Happy, Healthy Mom? It was, although I didn't initially set out thinking that I would write a book. Um, the way it unfolded was that I, um, as I said, was beginning to think about other research-based tools I could offer in my practice. And the first one that I looked towards, and this will come as no surprise to you, Deb, was, um, was movement, was exercise, because the research on exercise and mood enhancement is very well documented across many, many populations. Um, and even if you don't know the research, anybody who takes a yoga class or takes a, you know, a Peloton class knows that, um, generally we feel better after we move because our bodies are built to move. Um, so I went back to school and, and got a certificate in exercise science and incorporated pre and postnatal fitness training into my practice. 
And that was great, um, but I was still hungry for more. And so I just started delving into research on what other tools women had used with success, with you know statistically significant success um, during the postpartum transition. And much to my surprise, uh, there are a handful of them, and they are all substantiated by research. So I started looking into activities like acupressure and meditation and um, art therapy. And um, there is a wealth of information on these resources that has not been widely disseminated, at least not in our country. And so um, the more I leaned into it, the more interested I became and the more um, certain I was that this information had to be collected and um, and shared. And so that is how the book was born. How much of that did you then bring into your practice? I mean, when you had a client in there, I could see leading through a meditation, I could maybe even some yoga, but what, what did a session then look like? So, so that's a great <laughs> question. And it's ironic, actually, because what happened when I began writing with fervor is that I had to shrink my, my <laughs> clinical practice because there wasn't enough time to do both and also mother my own child. Um, so for the, the number of clients uh, who I was able to see before I closed my clinical practice, um, I would see about 50% of them for talk therapy and 50% of them, let's say for exercise prescription. But what would happen in a very organic way is that there would be spillage. So by that, I mean, I would have a client come to me ostensibly for personal training and I would go into her home and take her through a workout and, um, she would wind up opening up to me and sharing with me some of what her emotional experience was. And that's when I think about it now, um, perfectly sensical because when we exercise, it does have a physiological effect on us such that it lowers our inhibitions and makes us more vulnerable and open to sharing. Um, it's not uncommon to be in a group exercise class. And I'm certain this happens, you know, in classes at the yoga studio all the time where, you know, there'll be a woman or maybe two in the back who, you know, are crying or tearful. And that's because that is that is a positive, I think, effective exercise. It just opens us up and lets us, you know, um, release that um, that emotional experience. Yeah, we that is pretty common. What we really try is to create a very safe, sacred space that no one feels judged, and that I would say I've never seen anyone look at a woman, another person crying or having an emotion, and be negative. I think everyone knows this is, you know, they have pregnancy, so many hormones and these things come up and there's changes, there's transitions. And that's one reason we're really strict about not letting people out of the community. That's not in the community into the class. Like we have people all the time. Can my partner come? My sister come? We really try to create a closed container so emotion can erupt if it needs to. And the good thing for you is like, you're actually trained in this. The rest <laughs> of us, you know, just try to offer space and, you know, bring tissues, water, hand on the shoulder and just let her feel her, her own emotion. Well, that I think is, um, I mean, even 
even with my training, um, establishing a safe space is, you know, the first thing we have to do. So, you know, you guys are, are you've conquered half the battle right there. <laughs> so I want to shift a little bit to, so self-care is such a kind of a buzzword. Everyone's self-care, self-care. And I, and I believe that too, you know, but, um, you coined, I like the idea mother care. So can you talk, I love that term, but can you talk a little <laughs> bit about, uh, how you see that currently? Yes. So, um, I love that term too, <laughs> if I may say. And, um, the way I define it is as follows. Mother care is the right, and I do believe it is a fundamental right of every woman to have access to concrete, practical, reliable, effective, um, inexpensive, low to no cost tools that she can use to make motherhood less taxing and more joyful. Mothers are a special often vulnerable population, as are elders. We have elder care. We have child care. Children are also a vulnerable population. Um, we must have mother care. Um, the fact that we don't, and there are m many unfortunate pieces of evidence that in our country we do not um, honor the work of mothers or support them as they deserve to be, um, we need mother care. Uh, so... Um, my hope is that in coining the term, it will become part of the vernacular um, and that there will be steps taken to, to, to actualize it. So you were saying, you know, creating inexpensive to non-expensive options of coping. What, what are some of those skills that someone can use? So um, this is one of my favorite examples. Um, so I write in the book about acupressure. Um, which for listeners who may not be familiar, is a, a sister, shall we say, to acupuncture. Acupuncture and acupressure were developed about 5,000 years ago in the East, um, and they are methods of healing. Uh, in the case of acupuncture, they use specialized needles. In the case of acupressure, they simply use, one simply uses uh, the tip of one's finger to apply pressure to particular areas on the body that have been found to um, elicit healing for any one of a number of conditions from migraines to digestive issues to stress. Um, and what I love about acupressure is that it can be self-employed. So um, with very little instruction, one can treat oneself uh, and have you know, tangible positive effects. For example, there is an acupressure point on the body called small intestine. I'm going to say number one. There are several small intestine points. I think it's small intestine one. It is nowhere near the intestine. It is located on the pinky finger towards the outside of the body and just above the cuticle. Applying pressure on that point and by pressure, I mean enough so that you feel some tenderness, but it's not painful, for about 30 seconds to a minute, twice a day, was found in a clinical study to bolster lactation. They measured, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting this amazed look from Deb. When I share that information- Well, I was pressing are, it. I'm like, what's this going to do? And then I'm like, oh, I, I don't need that. <laughs> well, it can, it can 
be effective even if you're not lactating okay. because it can bring about a sense of calm. Oh, so um, I'll go ahead and do that then. But there was a study that was done and they measured um, milk output using a, um, a mechanized breast pump. And they found that women who treated themselves on the point, in fact, produced more milk. So those are the kinds of tools that I talk about, um, amongst many others. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've shared that particular nugget, but whenever I do, I get this wave of, why didn't I know that I was breastfeeding? Yeah, it would have saved me a lot of stress. (laughs) That's a podcast for another time. (laughs) For me as well. Um, so that's the kind of thing I mean. Um, I like that. I think it's important to be able to also then take ownership and be like, okay, I can calm myself down. I don't need to spend so much. I mean, I clearly, I, I believe in um, social work and therapy at my husband's social worker. So clearly I support that, but sometimes <laughs> you can't get to somebody and sometimes you can't you know, even leave the house. And so finding something to calm oneself even if it doesn't work, if like if they don't get the right point, I think the placebo effect of they, you know, their focus, their breathing, they're pressing something, they're getting in touch with their body can be a calming, calming mechanism. Absolutely. And they're also setting in motion um, a path of turning the focus on the mother self, right? So at least um a woman has decided that she's worth 30 seconds, 30 seconds mm-hmm. of time to attend to herself. So it's a mindset really, um, that I'm encouraging that, um, that women need to, and you know, this is a sort of a, a common metaphor, but they really do need to, you know, put the oxygen mask on themselves first before they put it on their child. Absolutely. So that brings me to my next question. And I've, I've talked to so many people about kind of this idea, cause I really should have been an anthropologist. So um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you see the role of the mother figure? How has that changed in the last several decades? I think to, as a mother in this time to the mother I had, and then hearing stories of like my grandmother, the, the mother figure now seems so dramatically different then my upbringing in the, I was born in the seventies. I'm outing that. Um, seventies and eighties. <laughs> I'm out there with you. You know, with you. And, and I remember hearing like how my mother is brought up by my grandmother. How do you think that person, that figure and the expectations has changed? That's such a rich question. I, I mean, know. talk about its own podcast. I know. Um, <laughs> That's why I love asking it to all different people. <laughs> So I think it's changed in a number of ways. First of all, I think, I think this, the millennial generation of mothers, um, you know, the women who are becoming mothers now have a really unique opportunity to, um, to cultivate the idea of mother care and to actualize it in a way that our mothers and certainly our grandmothers, Deb, did not. Um, you know, the, the there was no um, opportunity a generation or two generations ago to adopt the ideas of self-care um, because the default assumption was that you know, women are doing what women are meant to do. They are they are in the home. They are raising children. Um, whether or not it's easy or enjoyable or even preferred is irrelevant. Um, you know, the box was much more restrictive. Um, so now that we've stepped outside the box, I would argue that 
we have an obligation to, you know, to embrace and realize mother care as, as a mandate so that the next generation, you know, the, the millennial mothers to be, you know, the children of the millennials who will then become mothers if they so choose, um, for them, mother care will be a matter of course. It will be um, as routine to have, let's say, five or six postpartum checkups as opposed to the one that is, you know, endorsed now, um, because there will be a recognition that the transition into motherhood is substantive enough that it requires attention for every mother. Um, so I think it's an exciting time. Um, and I also think it's a time of great responsibility. It feels like it's kind of like a muddy time. Like the Lotus will soon bloom, but those in it now are, maybe that's just my own perspective (laughs) (laughs) because, change is stirring to come. There's a lot of change about the support women um, or people related to, you know, uh, identifying as women should have, but we're not quite there. But yet we also have something different than I look at like my mother um, who didn't really go back to work until I was in high school. Oddly, her mother worked as an immigrant coming over from, from Russia, worked you know, right away. So, you know, I look at where my mom came from, where she was more in the house and the generation raising kids now, it's, I, I read the statistics, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's like 60% of women work outside the home. You know, so while we're trying to find mother care for ourselves and try to find the support from our society, we're in a muddier place that we're not just in the home, out of the home. It's a much bigger, messier place as we're trying to find what it should be. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. And I would agree with you a hundred percent. And, and is often the case, you know, the, the waters tend to be muddy before a point of clarity can be achieved. So I think, um, I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic that we're headed for, you know, something better than what has been. Um, and really, really it's about choice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's about choosing to be a mother in whatever way feels most comfortable for an individual, whether that means, a mother who, you know, works outside the home or a mother who works predominantly inside the home that we eliminate the term stay at home mom, because the connotation there is, you know, feed up and eating bonbons. Um, if you're a mother, you're working period. Yes. Um, so, uh, so I think we need to expand for further choice and less judgment. Um, and that we need to come together as a community and recognize that a mother is a mother is a mother. And all of us, need to be supported societally, within our families, um, within our communities. Um, and we need concrete supports of the kind that I write about and abstract support as well. I also think we need to take the image off. And this is where social media gets me down a little of like the mother doing it all because you can't do it all and look so shiny and bright all the time. You know, let the balls drop every now and then, and that's okay. And I think there's this image or pressure that, we have to do it all. We have to, 
you know, keep everything balanced and, and stimulate our kids or not overstimulate them and then either have a job or keep your husband or whatever it is. And that then people may feel disappointed when they're not living that reality. What do you think of that? I, I have so many thoughts about that. <laughs> um, the first is, and I'm really glad that you brought up social media. Um, that may be my next book, actually, because social media has a place. It does. Um, but I think it needs to be thoughtfully managed, especially, uh, for mothers. Um, I have seen in my practice, I have heard anecdotally that it can be terribly destructive for a lot of women, for a lot of mothers, because what often happens is you know, women look at their Instagram or their Facebook feed and they do, as you say, Deb, see these, you know, shiny, perfect images of, um, women holding their babies. Um, and they are in the image is often in sharp contrast with the viewer's personal experience. And that discrepancy can be terribly psychologically damaging. Um, and even if someone knows it intellectually, the affective, the emotional experience of seeing the image and realizing that it isn't, doesn't resonate with how one feels can be so destructive. Um, so, you know, I tell women it's fine to have a Facebook page. You know, I have one, I, I use it for my career. I, you know, I get it. Um, but it has to sort of be kept in its own place. I, I encourage women to impose time limits on, you know, how much, uh, you know, five minutes to check your feed in the morning. And if you must another five in the evening, but, um, resist the temptation to check it on your phone when you're waiting in the supermarket line or whatever the case may be, because it can be, um, insidious. So, there's my two cents on. No, I appreciate that. I know I have this love-hate relationship too. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So let's keep going in that kind of parenthood challenge. What do you see from your practice, from your research, from your writing? What are the biggest challenges new parents are facing right now? Well, social media is one of them. Um, It really is. Uh, You know, it it is ubiquitous. Um, And as I said, it takes a kind of discipline. And I am as guilty of this as the next person. It takes a kind of discipline that we really need to work at to put limits on it. Mm -hmm. Um, In the same way that it's important to limit our children's exposure, it's important to limit our own. So, you know, if it helps, think about modeling good behavior for your child um, in, in limiting how much of your own screen time you ingest. So that's, that's one issue. The other big issue facing, um, mothers and parents today, uh, really is childcare. Um, you know, America is, um, has the dubious distinction of being the only first world country that does not have federally subsidized maternity, paid maternity leave, um, nor do we have a universal um, system of child care in this country. Um, and as you said, you know, 60%, I actually think it's closer to 70% now of women with children under 18 are, you know, either working outside the home or actively seeking work. Um, and most of them do not have access to affordable child care. So it's a huge problem. Um, there has been precedent in this country for federally subsidized childcare. Most people don't know this. In World War II, uh, there was something called the Lanham Act, uh, which because the male workforce was overseas fighting, the women were forced to go into the factories, which created lots of children that needed childcare. And guess what? Uncle Sam stepped in and paid for it. And then and- that ended when the men came home? It did indeed. I know. (laughs) I just say that because I actually, the other days, my daughter has one more year of preschool and we moved out of the city. My son did um, three years of preschool and my daughters are in the city and we're doing three years out here. So it's six years of private preschool and I added it up. And out here in the suburbs, it is a third of what it was in the city. But for my family, and this is just preschool, this isn't even, we had a nanny for five years in the city and even now some babysitters and we have aftercare at the school, but just preschool will be a little over $80,000. That's, that's a, that's a big number. That's not, that's not in the city. In the city, it's probably closer to 100 to 120 maybe. Yep. I was going to say it's upward of six figures. Um, and it is not uncommon in most states now that the cost of preschool is 
more expensive than public university college tuition. Oh, yes. If my son had done the full day at his school, we did the afternoon program, it would have been closer to $30,000 for one year of preschool. And that was what my college was well over 20 years ago. (laughs) For one year. (laughs) Do your math, people. That's insane. And that is a huge expense. And and I consider, you know, we, we are privileged that we can do that, but that is, it is a privilege and many people don't have that and rely on family. And it's a massive weight on one's shoulders to try to figure out childcare. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's reprehensible and it's embarrassing um, as a quote unquote developed nation that, um, that we don't have that resource. And unfortunately, um, and we, we won't get too political here, but it, it's not looking good. Um, no. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> but at least New York City's come up with um, universal pre-K. That is a little bit helpful so that those that heading into kindergarten have something of a foundation before starting that big role. Because kindergarten nowadays is, is much denser of what the expectations are than when it was when yes. we were back there. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, and it is better than nothing, um, but it doesn't solve the problem because it's no. still, you know, a partial day and um, it's, uh, we, we have a long way to go. We have All right, so we're <laughs> going to shift gears because we went a little political and go back to more self-care. I have to calm my own nerves after yes. my deep breaths. Deep breaths. So let's talk a little about some ways to say a parent is at home. It's that kind of day where... They're just looking at the clock and like, oh my God, I still have 11 hours until this child's asleep at the night. And by taking me mine again, what are some ways a new parent can incorporate acts of self-care in a daily routine? Absolutely. So, um, one of my, one of, one of my favorite pieces of research as I was, um, writing the book was, um, was the information that I found out about expressive arts therapy exercises. So art therapy is uh, not about arts and crafts. Um, It really is about using specific exercises to enable healing. Um, And so the way that these exercises can be done in the postpartum period, and part of what I like about them so much is that they can be done either with or without one's baby. Um, but you know, for the mom who is at home, who, you know, looks at the clock, it's eight in the morning and she feels like she's already had a full day. I remember that very, very well. Um, one activity that she might benefit from is an art therapy exercise, um, works really well with a baby who's a little bit older, maybe six months or so. And the two of them can just simply sit on the floor together. Um, she can have a big piece of paper in between them and, you know, some crayons or, you know, non-toxic markers and simply observe her child in play. You know, is the child drawn to certain colors, um, or textures, um, that she can choose to join the child in, in creating an image on the paper. Um, and she can be aware both of what her child is doing and also her emotional experience. So, um, is she enjoying, you know, this play? Is she kind of bored? Is she invested? Is she involved? Is she not? So it, um, allows a couple of things to happen. One, 
um, potentially enabling the mother-infant bond. So a lot of women, when their babies are born, do not feel an immediate attachment. I'm going to say that again. A lot of women, when their babies are born, do not feel an immediate attachment. It is no one's fault, nor does it make someone a bad mother. Okay. Um, A lot of women also have trouble connecting to their babies because changing diapers and um, washing onesies, you know, doesn't necessarily (laughs) elicit feelings of (laughs) deep love. Um, So, you know, Art therapy can help a mother connect in a different way with her child. It also eliminates the need for verbal communication. So I was a mom who, this will come as no surprise to listeners, was very verbal. (laughs) I like words. I communicate with words, spoken, written. And I remember feeling with my son um, at something of a loss because I was a little bit more advanced (laughs) when it came to language than he was. The conversations weren't flowing. (laughs) No, not so much. Not so much. Um, And I wish that I had had um, the knowledge then to be able to engage in an activity where we could both communicate without having to rely on language. So... um, To come back to your question, there are a number of exercises that I write about in the book that can help break up the monotony of the day, help enable that connection, um, and just provide something a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten path um, that both a mom and her baby can enjoy together. I like that. Um, I don't know if you know Pam England. She's a birth worker, very well-known, birthing from within. She does, this is for more the pregnancy side for our listeners out there. She does a lot of art therapy in preparation for pregnancy and birth, especially if there's any fears or anxiety around that massive transition. So I like that you went in the direction of art therapy. And I like her book. It's on my shelf. Oh, good. (laughs) I like that you talked about the art therapy. One thing I found, because you were saying you're more of a wordsmith, like words are your thing. Um, My background is musical theater and performing and art. And so I found something that helped break up the monotony and the silence. And I I still do this. Um, I have music playing and I've always credited, and those that are in the musical theater world, you probably can understand Anytime that you have any emotion, there is a song that has already expressed it. And my brain somehow, like a little card catalog, will find that so that it's not kept inside. And so I can somehow release it. And I would be playing musicals so there's sound and I can sing and express myself. And it kept myself from being bored because for years I would sit on the floor with my little ones from when they were, you know, really little to even just like three or four and we're playing puzzles. And I just got bored sometimes. So having music that I enjoyed that let me express, it helped fill the time. And then they they now are really into it. My daughter's four, my son's six, and we they're singing along with me. Some of the musicals are inappropriate, so I have to fast forward <laughs> them. Now we study more on the Disney Channel, but <laughs> right. But I think I just want to put that out there for those that might relate to that, that there are things that can help the monotony of the day. Yes. And I'm very glad you brought that up because music therapy, dance therapy, um, uh, I had a mom attend one of my workshops and she was a dancer. And, um, when her daughter was two, she put on some music and started dancing and the two of them danced together. And it was life changing for the mother. 
Um, so yes, absolutely. Um, you know, start from, from what feeds you, from what feeds your soul and let that inform how you engage with your baby. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll keep you sane. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm yes. going for. Keep the mom sane. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So let's Probably shift everyone. gears a little bit too. So now we've got some definite tools for the mother figure who's maybe at home with the child to stay sane, some self-care. Let's shift a little bit to, and you had mentioned this in kind of your intro about relationships because they they take us a big hit. And I did a whole podcast already on, um, I think it was called like parent, child-proofing your marriage. Um, <laughs> so in your book, you talk about fair fighting and just kind of relationships. Again, I know we have to keep it somewhat brief, but, but go. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> so here's, here's the 411. Um, it is impossible when a dyad becomes a triad, um, you know, when two become three, um, that there will not be some shift uh, in the dynamic. And that is to be expected. And I would say, you know, firstly, that just having an awareness that that will happen and it, it doesn't matter, you know, how structurally sound your marriage is going in and hopefully it, it's very structurally sound. Um, but even the strongest partnerships will take a hit. That's simply par for the course. Um, knowing that, and also knowing that if you are strategic and thoughtful about approaching the transition, you can actually utilize it to strengthen the relationship. Um, but it has to be, as I said, it has to be strategic and it has to be thoughtful. And one recommendation I make to couples is that, you know, when, when the stress levels rise, um, to, to fight fair, um, that certainly arguing is to be expected. Arguing is, is a healthy part of a good relationship. Um, but there are ways that we can choose to fight, um, and there are choices we can make even within a fight that can dictate, um, how, how damaging the fight will be. So for example, one thing I, I tell people to do is to become more aware of their body when they are angry because our bodies react when, when we are angry, our bodies react when we feel all emotions, but anger is an especially loud one. So it's not uncommon for people's breathing to, uh, to accelerate for palms to become sweaty, um, for butterflies in the stomach, for some people for tension in the neck. If you can learn to recognize your own physical symptoms of anger and catch yourself as they're beginning to rise, you can actually take a pause you can say, I need a timeout. I'm feeling angry and go into your corner and take some deep breaths and agree to come back and address the issue later when you've had a chance to calm down. It may sound sort of simplistic, but this is in some way why we, why some of us use timeouts with children too, because when our affect becomes so strong, our emotion becomes so heightened 
we cannot listen. We cannot calm ourselves. So if you can head it off at the pass, if you can recognize your own symptoms of anger or upset, I always tell couples, let me give you permission, give yourselves permission to take a time out, to pause, to go to your own corners, to take a walk around the block, to move, to do some yoga postures, right? So that you can calm yourself down and revisit the issue later on. That's smart. My husband does that. When he's getting really worked up, he will literally say, I need, and he'll go downstairs. Then we're luckily they're in a house, so we have some space to do that. But he will (laughs) actually excuse himself from the argument, which sometimes pisses me off because I'm like, I want to get this done. But he, and I appreciate that because then we can return and talk and things are calmer. So yeah, I'm all for that. Yes. (laughs) And even if you, you know, if you happen to be in an apartment or don't have a lot of space, um, you know, you can take a walk around the block. You can, um, you know, you can create space for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great thing. There was, um, an interview I did this woman, wonderful woman, Carrie Conti, and she talked about the brain and when it's, um, in that wild space. And she likened it to when someone's so worked up, it's like a jam session going on in the brain and they just can't hear reason. And whenever we start to escalate to that point, I'm like, both of us are not there. Or when my, my child, one of them, there's two of them, when one of them, especially my older son's having a meltdown, I just give him space. Cause I know he's not going to hear what I'm trying to do. That's right. And I, you know, even for little babies, you know, like there's only so much we can try to reason with them when they're in their crazy space. We need to help bring them their space. That's right. That's right. Space and time. Space and time. With everything. Uh, (laughs) With with everything. I mean, really with everything. Um, And and it's a practice, you know, it's it's not something that's going to happen overnight. um, But there will be ample opportunities <laughs> to try it again and again and again, <laughs> yes. um, uh, which in some ways is the gift of, of motherhood. You know, we, I, I hear from a lot of mothers, I was so upset with myself at the way I managed that or failed to manage that, or, you know, what a mommy fail. Well, there's almost always another opportunity to try it again. Not even tomorrow. There'll probably be one in two hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give it another go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back a little thing about your book. So I know you spoke with so many women when you were writing this. Were there any general themes or issues that you heard a lot? And did any of them surprise you or that you hadn't or you weren't expecting? What a great question. Yes and no. Um, I think what surprised me and and also um, comforted me was that my story of becoming a mother was really a variation on a theme, um, which is that even in the best of circumstances, and certainly in more challenging circumstances, becoming a mother for the immense joy and privilege, and I I do want to stress that it is both those things, is also really hard. It's really hard if you want to do it well, and we all want to do it well. So um, I kind of 
had a hunch that that was the case, I think, unconsciously, because I thought there would probably be women who would benefit from the book. But the more that I leaned into other women's stories, the more it affirmed the truth of that, um, that it was an experience that was unlike any other, remarkably commonplace. I mean, women are becoming mothers every day, literally every day, and also so vast and expansive. And, um, and, and that, that, that was what I kept hearing, you know, this, wow, I, I had no idea it was going to be like this. Um, you know, some, some permutation of that. And I think it's so important to keep putting it out there so that we can, we can, we go back to that social media or just the idea of walking down the street and seeing some mom that looks like she has it totally together. But I bet if you scratch the surface or peek in her house later, she doesn't. <laughs> and so giving yourself the permission to be like, this is really hard. And sometimes it's a joy and I love it. And other times, why? <laughs> like my husband and I the other day were like, we chose this. We chose every moment of this and yet we hate it right now. I mean, and to be okay that it's hard. Yes. Yes. And I actually, um, you know, this idea of having chosen to be a mother and again, you know, it, it is a privilege and many women would love that choice and don't have it. So I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, I do want to say that by virtue of having made the choice and been, you know, blessed in in the outcome, that doesn't invalidate that the experience can be difficult, challenging, that there can be resentment. Um, there's an interesting, actually, um, correlation now in the research that women who have had um, fertility issues and have been through IVF or um, that there is a... a connection between having gone through fertility treatment and a higher incidence of postpartum depression. Hmm. And, um, you know, and I think part of that anyway, is attributed to the fact that when there is so much time and effort and, you know, emotional, um, upheaval, uh, around conceiving, um, that the expectation is if in fact one is lucky enough to have a baby, um, I don't have any right to complain about anything. And of course, if the experience is, this is hard, this is challenging, I'm exhausted, um, where does that leave a woman? So I think that's important to um, just to be recognized. And you can be a great mom and still not love every moment of it and still think it's hard. Yes, yes. And I In think, fact, yeah. yeah, I think that honesty, that candor with oneself is part of what makes someone a really good mom. Yeah. I just wanted to put that out there because I think sometimes people can be like, and I know my friends and I always laugh like, I'm a terrible mom. I didn't do this, but we don't think we're terrible moms. We just think that, you know, sometimes it's hard and that's okay. And I see that with pregnancy a lot, that there's this image that you have to love being pregnant. And I see some students come up to me, usually quiet, quietly after class and be like, I don't like it. I want the baby, 
but I don't like it, but everyone tells me how happy I should be. Or afterwards of everyone tells me how great it is that I'm a mom, but it's really hard. And that all these things are okay. That's just, I guess, what I want to put out there in my own little way that all these things are okay. Yes, they are all okay. And they are all happening for all of us. And if we could just own up to it, <laughs> own up to it and not judge each other for it. I mean, the judgment, unfortunately, in the maternal community is so thick. And um, that's something we can all, we could all do a little work on, I mm-hmm. think, um, mm-hmm. is trying to remove the mother judger. Um, because, uh, we all have one. I know I have mine and I hear her and I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, it's part of being human. Um, but if we can turn the volume down on it a little bit and just try and exercise a little more compassion, it will benefit all of us. Because we all want support and community and that will help. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So I know we need to start to wrap things up, but do you have any final advice for new and expected parents that we didn't cover already? Lots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think, I think if, you know, if there was one piece of um, advice, I would want women to, to walk away from it is this. You are not alone. I promise you, you are not alone. And if you feel like you need more than self-administered mother care, then please reach out for additional support. If you feel you need to talk to somebody, if you feel, you know, um, you'd like to speak with a therapist, ask your OBGYN, your midwife, your primary care physician for a referral. Um, This is an all hands on deck situation. Becoming a mom is an all hands on deck situation. We all need help. If you do not think you are worthy of it, then do it for the sake of your child because he or she will benefit greatly as well. So, um, that's my plea. 
That's wonderful. I have so enjoyed talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we could go another several hours. I I was trying to be mindful of the time, but this was so great. And I think our community out there, those pregnant, those in motherhood, those are just supporting people in this transition. I think so many delicious nuggets that they can take hold of from this conversation. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Deb. I really appreciate the platform. And um, personally, it's just been a joy to connect with you. So thank you. All right. Be well. Bye. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.